This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. 11 days ago, a small Bible college in Kentucky, USA, I like Kentucky, (laughs) held a regular chapel service. And a regular university chaplain spoke a simple sermon about Jesus. And at the conclusion of the service, 30 students stayed back and kept singing. With no rehearsal, no plan, no lyric slides, they just kept singing. They just kept singing on and on and on through the rest of the morning into the afternoon and other students on the campus heard what was going on and so the chapel slowly filled up again. It filled up and they kept singing and singing and singing. They went all through the night 24-7. They went on and on and on. Students from surrounding universities decided that they'd, they'd travel over, over to this small Bible college and join in the chapel and they kept singing and singing and singing and the chapel started to overflow and they kept going and going and going going and then other people from around the country started hearing about what was happening in this small Bible college and so the, the, the chapel just started filling and filling and filling and filling and filling then people from overseas started hearing about it and for 11 days straight what has been dubbed the Asbury revival has been happening 11 days straight This chapel at a small Bible college has been filled to the brim. People are lined up outside. They've had to open other rooms. The Bible college actually had to shut down its classes for a week because all their students have been in the chapel singing. I think revival is a bit of a strong word, but I sort of like it a little bit. What are they alluding to? They're alluding to this idea that God is moving. No plan, no rehearsal. They're just letting anyone with a guitar get up and sing because, you know, after you've been going for 11 days straight, 24-7... Your fingers get sore. So musicians are coming from all over the place. It's filling, it's overflowing. People are rushing to Asbury Bible College to join in the worship, even flying overseas. (laughs) Today, this weekend, they've actually had to say, look, for safety reasons, we need to have our regular church services. So give us a second to plan those. 11 days straight. Maybe you haven't heard about it. It's sort of going viral on TikTok. Uh, news, news, news people have been sort of covering it in the USA, but when they asked to attend, they sort of said, no, we don't need to come. We don't want to politicise this. This is just a, a natural thing. We don't want to make it like a political thing. But it has been going on viral on TikTok because that's what young people use. And I saw this TikTok caption. It really hit me. Generation Z is leaving the church. Have you heard people say that? I don't know if you've heard people say that. Generations, young people are leaving the church. And this caption says, no, we are leaving religion. And by religion, they obviously mean the rules, the regulations, the structure, the hierarchies. We are leaving religion. We are leaving spaces where God is not free to move. We have an urgency to pursue what is real and true. We don't want a performance. We want the authentic presence of God. Is that what you want? Oh, I guess we've all got the heart of a Generation Z. (laughs) I'm really upset, I'm not even Generation Z, I'm a millennial, I was right on the turning point. I feel left out, I feel left out. Oh, it's still going, the Asbury Revival. They've been singing for 11 days straight, no plan, just letting anyone on stage, any musician in the room that can help singing. They're all just seeking Jesus. 
I see a generation letting go of structure hierarchy rules and I see the mavericks and the unorthodox running with perseverance, a race marked out for them, finding and fixing their eyes on Jesus. But this isn't just for the young and it's not just for the old, it's for everyone. And we are all called to run toward our Jesus, to let go of our pride, to let go of what's holding us down and to overflow from the life of the Saviour. Today, I get to preach about Jesus. I spent all week thinking, how can I make a creative sermon around the topic of Jesus? It's sort of like my bread and butter as a preacher. I feel like I've been stitched up. It's like, oh, your sermon topic this week is Jesus. Great. (laughs) Where should we land that one? We might be here for the next 11 days. Oh, you're going to just have to let me preach. And as I look out across the room, I know that a lot of you know Jesus, that's why you're in the room. But maybe we can open the word, open the scriptures and see him again with fresh eyes. You know, it all started thousands of years ago, the world was in a dark place. And prophets of old thousands of years ago, men gifted by God to sort of foresee the future, to to see what was going to happen, started declaring that this Messiah was coming, this Saviour was coming, someone who was going to save us from all our darkness, save us from all our torment. Heal us from all the holes we have. And one of them, Isaiah, essentially prophesied, the Saviour, God's servant, is coming and he will be a light for the nations and salvation will reach the ends of the earth. And 800 years after that, baby Jesus was born. The Jesus that a lot of you in this room know. And as I said, I want to look at Jesus with fresh eyes and I'm going to be talking about some of the things Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, if you want to open your Bibles and um, look at where I'm going. Uh, But I just want to share some simple thoughts on this Jesus from Isaiah 53. I like these verses because they make Jesus a little bit relatable. Let's start at Isaiah 53, 2. This Jesus, he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. This Jesus that I preach, this Jesus that I speak about in our youth ministry, this Jesus I preach in our church, this Jesus I try to be like and replicate in my daily life, he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He grew up like a young plant. What does that mean? What does that mean? In one of my study Bibles, it said this line, God let his son grow up in vulnerable human flesh. He grew up like a young plant. Young plant there sort of means in the Hebrew it's suckling. He grew up like a suckling. It's this idea that the king of the universe was born as a baby and suckled at his mother's breast. Vulnerable, helpless, had to have his nappy changed or cloth or I wish I was more of a historian. They had something. Vulnerable. The king of the universe, fully God, made himself fully man, a vulnerable suckling, a young plant. And he had to grow. He had to grow. And as he grew, he he joined his, uh, his earthly father Joseph's business. He became a tecton. Tecton, we often say Jesus was a carpenter. Tecton means craftsman, snowmason, architect or carpenter. They say that there wasn't that many trees available apart from, you know, olive trees. And so it was more likely he was a stonemason. 
So you can imagine this Jesus before the age of 30, growing up like a young plant, chiseling at stone. He's got his hammer, he's got his chisel, he's chipping away at stone before safety goggles. You can imagine the dust flying off the stone, little speckles hitting his eye. You can imagine the chisel slipping a little bit, cutting his finger, getting hands calloused, working hard. This Jesus, a vulnerable, he fully God became fully man. He's just like you and me. Chips on his fingernails. He grew up like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground. A root out of dry ground. What could this possibly mean? A root out of dry ground. Well, he was a root from the line of David. It was always prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would come from the line of David, yes. And everyone expected him to be born of nobility, from like fertile soil, like one of the cool families that descended from David. He was meant to be born, no, like in a palace, he's a king, he's a Messiah, he's meant to be like a victorious political ruler. But he wasn't, he was born into dry ground, not fertile soil. It says, being born into a despicable, unknown family. No one heard of Mary or Joseph before this. Not only that, but his mother was a virgin. Dry ground. Dry ground. Not only that, but people would say, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. Commonly known as like, I don't, know, I don't want to tease any suburbs. I guess that's like... Growing up in Mount Druitt, you reckon? Can anything good come from... No, I can't. This is being podcasted to the world. Uh, One of the disciples rushing to tell his brother, you know, I've met this Messiah, and he's like, from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was like known as like, nothing good can come from there. Growing up in dry ground, he didn't grow up in Caesarea. I've been to Caesarea, it's beautiful, beaches... Oh my goodness, the palaces, beautiful. Beaches of tiny little stone pebbles so you don't get sand where you don't want sand. He didn't grow up in Caesarea. Didn't grow up in beautiful Jerusalem, David's city. He grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good come from that? Dry ground. Not only that, but he was born under Roman occupation. I mean, couldn't the Messiah have come at a better time in history when Israel was flourishing? No, he came when Israel was under oppression. He didn't come into fertile soil. He came into dry ground, under, under occupation, under oppression. And he surrounded himself by dry ground. Those around him were considered dry ground. You know, Jesus was a youth pastor. After being to Bible college, I know that most of Jesus' disciples, his twelve were between the age of 15 and 30 and most on the younger side. 15-year-olds. Jesus was a youth pastor. Trusting 15-year-olds to grow his church. Can you imagine? One of the things I read about the Asbury Revival was that the chaplains there, I I heard an interview, and uh, the chaplains there genuinely believe in the next generation running the church. They let the young people, the students, take lead of their chapel services. They let them be the musicians. They let them be the preachers. They let them be the welcomers at the door. They let them do the AV stuff, like the young people, the, the young people in the college. They let them take over, and then they be sort of like wise people to sort of guide them along life's journeys as they have you know, big decisions to make in life. 
What does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for the future of the, the church? What does it mean for us to let the young people take hold, to pursue Jesus, to run with perseverance? What does it look like to let the dry ground have a go? Because the root grows from dry ground. I don't know if you feel like dry ground. Jesus surrounded himself by dry ground. And boy, did that root grow. Boy, did it grow. No form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. This Jesus. (laughs) You know, if someone wrote that about me, be quite upset. Jesus grew up knowing these, he knew these verses. He was very skilled at the word. He knew what they were saying about him. Well, that Jesus is, you know, we hear stories about, um, you know, everyone's like, oh, come look at this Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's healing people everywhere. But I think it was probably a bit more like, oh, you know, oh, there's this Jesus guy. You know, the guy with the funny eyes, he's healing people. No formal majesty, no formal majesty that we should look at him. He, didn't, he wasn't able to publicly display the fullness of his majesty, like fully publicly to everyone. Like if Jesus, fully God, who became fully man, he could just like glow white. And he, in some sense, he did do that at the transfiguration, but he only showed um, his three key disciples. But he didn't do it publicly. I mean, if he could just glow white, if he could just be like, you, you know, imagine everyone would flock to him. But he didn't publicly display the fullness of his majesty he wanted to be completely normal he had no crown and he had no social media following or followers it wasn't like he was the big popular guy he was he had no no form or majesty that we should look at him no reason to perceive him as glorious no reason to perceive him as like no wonder people were confused no wonder people didn't see it straight away he came normal he came normal no beauty that we should desire him. All of the, the leaders of the faith, Moses was considered exceedingly fair. Beautiful in a sense, so much that when he floated down the river and he was found, you know, by, by um, Pharaoh's family, they thought, beautiful, let's raise this thing. Saul was tall, King Saul, said he was tall, tall, dark and handsome. David was beautiful and goodly to look at. Jesus was just a normal average bloke. There's hope for me yet. (laughs) Normal average bloke. Perhaps he wore Havianas on stage. Nope. Or desert sandals, I guess. <laughs> there was no hair ties back in the day. He was just letting it all hang out. Normal, average bloke. You know, at the Asbury Revival, those young people, they're not like pursuing some handsome, tall, majestic individual. They're not running towards something that's be- like beautiful to look at. They're not following Jesus because he's handsome, because he's got ripped abs, a nice chest. I think me and Jesus would have a great meal at KFC (laughs) with a glass of wine, probably down at Gosford Hotel, but before they renovated it. Jesus was a normal average bloke. I, just for fun, I said, 
I got AI, you know, like artificial intelligence. I wanted it to draw me a picture of ugly Jesus because I'm sick of all the, all the beautiful Jesuses. And this is what the AI came up with. <laughs> and isn't it funny, they still made him super white. <laughs> ugly Jesus. No majesty. The next generation, we're not pursuing... We're not pursu- In church and youth ministry, I don't think we're pursuing fashion. I don't think we're pursuing good looks. I don't think we're pursuing... We're pursuing something normal. I really believe that. And I can see that on the Central Coast and surrounding youth ministries throughout our country. Youth ministries that try a little too hard, they're struggling. You had a small youth ministry, middle of Narara, Really, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere right here where I wear my Havianas and gym shorts and all our leaders pretty much do the same. Young people are coming. Young people want normal. It says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Despised, he was hated by the Jewish leaders, the intellectuals, the teachers. Absolutely despised, hated so much that they would put him on a cross. And when they did put him on a cross, his, his followers turned their backs on him. The, his 12, the closest people to him, Peter, one of the people that saw him in all his majesty and saw him in all, even Peter turned his back like, I don't know. The, Peter's going, I don't know him. I don't know him. Rejected. A man of sorrows. I believe that Jesus was a character. I think, he, I think Jesus knew how to have a laugh. I think Jesus knew how to have fun. Because I pray to Jesus, he talks to me, and me and Jesus joke with each other. That's sort of a weird concept to understand, but God tells me jokes. But do you know, one theologian I was reading said that we never read that Jesus laughed, but we know he wept. There's no verse that says, and, and Peter was pretending to water ski on the water, and Jesus laughed. But we see him looking over Jerusalem, over Israel and weeping, weeping for his people, weeping for his people. We we never read that he laughed. I'm sure he did. But we do read that he wept. Grief. Jesus shares our emotions. When his friend Lazarus died, he's stricken with grief. He mourns. I don't know if you've been through loss or grief. Do you know Jesus felt all the same emotions? Fully God felt the same emotions as us. I don't know if you know that, but you need to. If you're grieving now or have grieved in the past, Jesus knows what that feels like. He was fully God, but he was fully man. You can relate to him in grief. He was real. He was real. He was real. He was real. He was raw. He was authentic. It goes on to say that surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He didn't just weep about his own emotions, you know, seeing the people. He didn't just grieve when his friends died. But when it came to the cross... This Jesus, he bore our grief and carried our sorrows on the cross. 
all the grief of the world, all the sorrow of the world hung on his shoulders as he hung on a cross. All the things you've been through, grief caused by others, grief caused by your own actions, sorrow caused by others, sorrow caused by your own actions, hung on him on the cross. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Then it goes on to say this. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. I've been to Israel and one of the things I got to see in Israel was the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is right next to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus cried and wept and asked God for the cup of suffering to pass. But if it was God's will that he would go through with all, the, all that carrying the sorrow and carrying the grief. The olive trees are about 2,000 years old. So it's entirely possible as I reach out and touch the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that some of those were little sucklings roots out of dry ground when Jesus was in that garden. And then as we go to have lunch, there's all these trees and the trees have these big branches and off the branch there's all these thorns, like I'm talking thorns the size of my finger, the length of my finger. And the tour guide goes over and he cuts off one of these branches and he brings it over to us and he says, well, this is what the crown of thorns was made out of. Thorns the size of my finger, like I think when we think of thorns and we picture it, it's like rose bushes, you know, the tiny little thorns. But we're, talk, we're talking these big thorns. And he showed us how they'd sort of wind the branch around and turn it into a crown. And how they would put it on Jesus' head. Sorry for the heaviness, but this is, this is what happened. Put it on Jesus' head, weigh it down, pull it down. And the tour guide said, this could have been the most painful part of the crucifixion as the needles and the thorns entered his skin in different directions they said his face would have just swollen up he would have been unrecognizable completely unrecognizable as his face is swollen the thorns are digging in horrible 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 stuff this could have been the most painful part and he was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin is, you know, the mistakes we make, the darkness within us. We've all got it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The pain, the hurt, the things we do wrong, the evil desires, when we get angry at others, when we gossip, when we do the wrong thing, when we... You, you know what I'm talking about. We've all got it. For our transgressions, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Someone's got to pay the price. And God himself comes down from heaven and he is wounded for our transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities. He, upon him, was the punishment that brought us peace. Wow. Whoa. And it says, with his stripes, we are healed. Stripes. 
through his pain and punishment, his literal lashes from the whips, the stripes along his back. By his stripes, by his pain, by his suffering, we are healed. Not just the promise of eternal physical health in heaven, but the healing of our souls. The healing of our souls. I know that I am preaching to the choir. I know that many of you in this room have experienced this Jesus. Mm. Mm. Would you be able to join me, Josh, and minister with me? I'll give you a seat back. I know many of you have experienced this, and maybe some of you are in the room for the first time. I haven't heard much of this, but this is what I believe. This is the Jesus I'm running toward. This is the Jesus I want our youth to meet. This is the Jesus I want you to know deeply. Not the handsome Jesus with the six pack on the cross, the Jesus that had his face swollen, punished for our, our pain, for, you know, punished for what we went through, for what we did. He was without sin. He was perfect. There he hangs on a cross, a man of sorrows, despised and rejected. My goodness. I remember when I first moved here, I was working as a volunteer at MAD with Evan, <laughs> with a bunch of uh, rowdy teenagers. Don't even remember, J-Mac. <laughs> They all had rap names. <laughs> J-Mac, don't know where he is now. You got any idea? <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> Hopefully it's not somewhere bad. <laughs> I, remember, I remember working with these young people. I was like, I just moved here. And I remember driving home from Mad one day. And these, these, are, these are unruly teenagers. I mean, lots of great teenagers there too. But I just remember thinking I was like serving at my local church, serving at my local youth ministry. And we had a lot of rich kids because we were in Erina. And like, I was just thinking, oh, what's the point of this? We're not even reaching the people we're meant to be reaching. We got all the rich kids in here who can afford everything. And then I'm volunteering at MAD and how are we reaching them? How are we reaching them with the gospel? And I was driving home and uh, a song came on and it was like um, some Christian song. It doesn't even matter. I remember I had to pull over. It was how deep the Father's love for us. And I had to pull over how deep the Father's love for us. Because I got this vision. I was able to close my eyes. And what I saw was Jesus on the cross and the Father. And the Father had so much, so much um, pain, sorrow, grief, because His Son was on the cross hanging there in pain and it wasn't this idea that he had to turn his face away because he was angry at Jesus or because you know was you know he was all of a sudden carrying sin and he couldn't look at the sin it was like he had to turn his face away because it was like so hard for him to bear seeing his son in that state and on the other side of the father was all these young people from mad from from these programs J Mac and all these other kids that I, I recognized by faith in their hip-hop attire 
And it was like the father turned his face away from the cross and turned his face toward them. Almost to say, this is all for you. 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 All of your sin, all of your transgressions, all of your grief, all of your sorrow, it's now on on His shoulders and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at you. Because I see a generation that needs to run with perseverance, the race marked out for them, towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because this is what we know, that it didn't end on the cross. Jesus was put in a tomb. And three days later, He rose again and the stone was rolled away. Boy, did He know how to roll stones. You can imagine Him lifting stones in His Father's workshop with the chips on His fingers, with the calluses. He was very used to making these stones. He was chipping them all day long. That's what He did in His Father's workshop. He was always rolling stones. And then the final rolling stone, He rolls away the stone from the tomb. He rises. He ascends. He goes to sit at the right hand of the Father that all of us might be able to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It isn't just for the young. It's not just for the old. It's not just for a small Bible college in Asbury. It's for us all. And I have great hope. I have great hope for this church, for our youth. I have great hope for your neighbours, for your friends and your family. I have great hope because we serve a great God. Mm, Preaching to the choir. It's a choir I'm proud to be a part of. Let's uh, close our eyes and bow our heads just take a moment to think of what Jesus has done for you take a moment to remember your first love he wasn't handsome he wasn't pretty he was despised and rejected but that's not why we That's not why we run towards Him. We run towards Him because of what He did for us on the cross. Take a moment to remember what it was like when you first met Him. Take a moment to remember what it was like when you were young and in youth ministry and praising at the top of your lungs. Take a moment to remember this Jesus on the cross. God, we don't don't run towards you because of your looks and we don't run towards you because of your social media. We don't run towards you because you had anything that we should desire you. No, No form of majesty, God. We run towards you because you sacrificed it all for us. God, I pray that we as a church would overflow from the life of the Saviour, that we'd run with perseverance and not grow weary towards the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus' mighty name, amen.
This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.